This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to Ely on the volley! What a finish! Gotti Kinda has struck! It falls to Polito and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB. My name is Nate Buchanan. I am joined as always by Ali Trost and Connell McCourt. And boy, guys, do we have a lot to get to today. How are you guys? I'm doing doing well. Yeah. I mean, I am just on a soccer high from that game yeah. on Sunday. I, I'll be honest, I that is way past my bedtime, so I did huh. fall asleep for a hot second there, but I woke <laughs> up in time just as even more of the craziness was taking place towards the end of that game. Your bedtime. I don't want to hear it. I, I don't know, hear I know. It, I did not have to get up for a 6 a.m. show. So. Connell McCord has no bedtime. Uh, no, I'm a nocturnal guy. But, yeah, even I was up a bit late. Well, luckily the fate extravaganza of Logan Paul versus Floyd uh-huh. Mayweather was going on around that time, so I was up to see who was going to win that big one. Oh, God. Please but, tell me you didn't drop money on that. No, I did not. Okay. I watched it. Did you? Did you maybe you wagered some money on it? Uh, no, 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 no. Well, sure, it was. There was no winner. Yeah, right. Like, how do you win the money from it? I don't know. I mean. Well, those two won the money. Basically, they were the right, winners right. because I think they we're all people. losers yeah. here. Aren't we? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, hey, we have a busy, busy show for you guys today. We are going to talk with a good friend of ours, a man who is uh, uh, front and center with all of the Major League Soccer coverage at MLSsoccer.com and all the other outlets for uh, for the league. Andrew Weeby, who has relocated back to Kansas City, where he kind of got his start uh, broadcasting and covering Major League Soccer back when it was the Wizards here in town. He's going to join us in the next segment, but we have some big things to get to. Honestly, we could do a three-hour show today. We really could. With all the stuff that we have uh, going on today, we're going to talk about that epic, unforgettable USA versus Mexico game. We're going to talk about a tweet involving Gianluca Busio that got a lot of conversation last week from Taylor Twelman, and we're going to preview... Sporty KC back in action this Saturday afternoon against Austin FC in a rematch. Sporty KC with their eyes on first place and eyes on the Supporter Shield. They were in great form going into this bye week, and can they stay that way uh, going into this coming weekend with hopefully another packed house at uh, Children's Mercy Park? Uh, but we have something else to get to first, Connell McCourt. We have some news that was broken yesterday on social media. I'm going to read from Twitter, the official Sport in Kansas City account that says, <clears throat> Welcome at Ali Trost to the Bally Sports KC and Sports Radio 810 broadcast team as Sporting KC's new sideline reporter. Can't wait to see Ali in action on Saturday, and it's complete with a nice three person photograph of. Alley front and center, like, in, there we go, there we go, sound, of, studio audience applauds, thank you very much, uh, everybody's happy, and, and the photograph is uh, complete with, kind of like in the, in, the, in the flying V formation with Alley right front and center, um, you know, with the aerodynamics for us, and then me and Jacob Peterson behind her, and the guy, I just will tell you, that did the, the photograph 
after doing the photograph, said, hey, we might want to do this again because Allie is in perfect focus because she's in front, and the two of you are a little fuzzier <laughs> in the back. And Jacob and I both said, and the problem with that is, <laughs> that seems like that's about the perfect way that that picture should go. So we went with it. But in all seriousness, Allie, congratulations. Welcome aboard. We obviously have known about this news for some time, but it's obviously uh, thrilling to announce it, and we're really excited to have you. Uh, welcome aboard. This is going to be awesome. I'm just over the moon. I mean, it is a total pinch me kind of moment, and you'll see me on on your TVs. Hear me right here on Sports Radio 810 on Saturday for the game against Austin. That'll be my first one uh, as part of the broadcast team, and I'm just I'm thrilled. I mean, it's I literally I I'm speechless. Very few times as someone who works in media and in sports talk radio are you speechless, but this is definitely one of them, and I'm so excited. Couldn't think of a better team to work with. You, Nate, and and Jacob, and the entire crew. Connell, you included in that, that works tirelessly behind the scenes to put together a great product each week, and I'm just happy to be a small part of it. No one more deserving, really. I mean, I've had a couple of people that's reached out to me and be like, oh, wow, I didn't know there was a big change or whatever going on. I've kind of told everyone the same. Honestly, you could scour all of Kansas City, you'll find no one more deserving, honestly. And it's just, it's good. It'll be refreshing. It's a bit of a change up, and like Ali knows her stuff. So I'm looking forward to it, honestly. I think these will all work together well. So I'm going to go ahead and take it a step further, and I'll say that there's no one better that that uh, we we could have scoured the region, maybe even the country, and and not found someone better than Allie for this job. First of all, I do want to say we're going to miss Carter. Carter yes, was a great part sure. of our team. We all love Carter here, and that's no BS. And we all are very excited for Carter and what is going to happen with the future of his career. He has dreams and goals and things he wants to pursue, and and I think he's going to do great things with those. Um, so we we. We are very excited for his future. Uh, big shoes to fill. This over this here. is a big dream for you, Allie, and I don't think that anybody um, that's been around you uh, needs to be told that. I think it's been pretty clear the way you've approached your career so far. I'll say it this way: We in Kansas City are incredibly lucky to have people like you two, and I'm talking about Allie and Connell here now, and Carter, who was here before, who are young, energetic, incredibly passionate about the sport. And, and this city. And the more people we have like that to communicate about this club and identify with the fan base and present the game to fans and hopefully grow the game because we're still trying to grow it here, um, we're lucky to have somebody like that. And, and I'll also say what Connell said as well. Um, I love when, when good things happen to good people, especially people that work for it. And you have... Uh, pursued this with gusto in the right ways. Uh, you're incredibly knowledgeable and prepared at all times for your job. Uh, you haven't looked for anything to be handed to you whatsoever, and uh, and you're good. You're good at this. So you're going to do a great job, and we're excited for you. And, and the last you know? thing I, I do want to say, you know, when I first moved to Kansas City back in 2017, so I'm coming up on four years here, which is actually wild to think about because it feels like it's just gone by so fast. But, um, you know, sports and pursuing a career in sports journalism was a side hustle of mine at the time. And my my entry into that was sporting Kansas City and, and covering the team with the Blue Testament, but uh, got gifted some camera equipment from my loving parents for Christmas and reached out to Patrick and the communications team there. I was like, hey, can I go down on the field and do some sideline interviews after the game? And got my little equipment set up and worked with some some of the guys at Blue Testament to kind of help me out, get everything set and just trying to be ready. And, and I learned so much doing that. And, and that was really a 
a catalyst for me and really kept that momentum and that passion alive for me because I just enjoyed doing it so much. And that's a credit to Peter Vermees, who is nothing but respectful and kind and just treated me like I was supposed to be there. And his his respect and, and just kindness to me at that point in my career is something that I'll never forget. And so I'm very fortunate to get to still cover him as a manager here at Sporting Kansas City and now at this level with, with Bally and Sports Radio 810. The thing about Peter is, uh, I think we all know, he knows when he sees someone that hustles. He knows mm-hmm. he, when he sees someone that mm-hmm. wants to work hard. I remember one of the first games to, to, to Borea's. I remember one of the, I think it might have been 2018 or it might have been 2019. I was working with Nate and Maddie at the time. And after the game, when we were in the Legends Club, whatever, the field club, and then we left to go out to the cars, and Ali was still, Ali was there with a tripod and a camera yep. and yep. setting everything. And, you know, I know she was personally just, I know she was bringing it home and editing that stuff putting that stuff out so no one really sees all the work that goes on behind this and I remember Nate and I were like practicing how not to stumble during a stand-up which that was really probably like the interviewing part for me was you know I I enjoy those interactions but the one thing I had to really learn um was how to just when it's just you and the camera how do you how do you make that work and how do you you know come across as yourself so it just kind of demonstrated I would go practice that like you're just (laughs) like it was none of us were there like it was not as if you were there was a big crowd of people around you're a team of people around you you were you took the initiative to go do it yourself and put it out yourself and that's why like good thing it's good to see people who actually hustle and work be rewarded so yeah, if you're if you're a kid out there and you dream of of uh, trying to put together, it's a hard it's a hard industry to to get your foot in the door. Meal meal dominated industry yeah. as well. Yeah, so. and 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 I would say even more so. Unfortunately, sports talk radio is that way. Mm-hmm. And Ali has stepped in here at eight ten, and and that's a different deal too. Doing talk radio, extemporaneous talking for hours at a time, <laughs> as opposed to it's a, a different scripted animal. stand up and right. all that. But it's helped me. I will say that is you know something. I think everything kind of happens for a reason, and and the different things that you do in your career all lead to, you know, getting you to where you maybe thought you wanted to go or where you didn't know you wanted, you know, didn't know you wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm so grateful for, for all of the opportunities that have gotten me to this point. And I guess my, my one piece of advice thing that I've learned is say yes to anything that you think could get you the experience necessary to, to get better. Mm -hmm. Cause the more kind of skills that you can acquire doing a number of different things will only pay off and, and make you better in the long run. So Talking on the radio here has definitely helped me uh, with the on-camera stuff and with the the broadcasting side. So I am just I'm thrilled. Like I seriously cannot put into words. I'm so excited for Saturday and for the season, and to you know get to connect with the fans on on this level too. It'll be a lot of fun. I've enjoyed getting to know entire SKC Nation, the Cauldron, South San. You know, everyone's just been fantastic and so supportive of me. So looking forward to continuing that here. Well, it's going to be great, and we're just we're thrilled to have you on the team, Allie. It's it's it's, it's one of those no-brainers. There's sometimes uh, where it's like, man, who are we going to find to do this job? And there's other times where it's like, that job, we already know the answer. And uh, and it was there, and I'm glad that it's all worked out. And we can't wait to see her on the broadcast and hear her on the broadcast right here on 810 on Saturday afternoon. All right, guys, let's get into this. Sporting Kansas City uh, had the bye week this weekend because the U.S. men's national team was playing in a new, somewhat contrived competition called Nations League. And I've been having arguments with Jake Gutierrez on the morning <laughs> show about what's more important, the Gold Cup or Nations League. We can get into that all we want. The bottom line is, for the first time in the Greg Burhalter era, the U.S. men's national team was playing for the trophy. They were playing against the juggernauts of this region who have dominated this region for the better part of the last seven years. Plus, 
They fell behind one nothing. Seventy seconds into the game, those of us that have been, you know, just carrying the scars of the past several years of frustration with the men's national team, uh, immediately thought, "Well, here we go." They fought back and they won that thing in extra time. Let's talk about it a little bit, Connell. What was maybe the biggest takeaway for you from that performance by the national team? Um. <clears throat> See, so a lot, I've seen a lot of criticism of Greg Berhalter because of the front. He started with a back three, and he was getting torched in the first yes. half on social media yeah. for sure. But you know what? Now, Honestly, social I'm, media is a, a wasteland of of torching people for you know whatever reason. Especially but, U.S. soccer social yo, it's, media. Yo, it's, it's toxic as hell. Yeah. But honestly, as much as obviously you don't want to see him getting personal insults, but it was kind of deserved because the way they started. They were getting to- they were getting roasted mm-hmm. without three at the back. I mean, I have I don't watch all the U.S. men's national title hold my hands up, but I have never I've never seen them play three at the back. And I think that against the North of Ireland they might have played it, but I've never seen them play three at the back before. So it was a bit strange that they were going into such a big game and they were playing that. So and you seen what happened in the first half? They were getting roasted. The three centre backs were being pulled apart. The two wing backs who it's key in that if you're playing that formation, the wing backs get forward. Because they saw they were getting roasted at the back, they kind of had to stay back a bit because they were cautious. Because mm-hmm. if you're playing three at the back, you need legs. You need people that can run because if the ball goes in over the top, you're you're done. Yeah. But credit to him, credit to Greg Berhalter. He noticed what was going wrong and he changed it. And that's what top coaches do, in my opinion. I don't think the U.S. played particularly well. If you're playing a different formation, it'll take a while to adapt to a new formation. That's just the way it goes. But he noticed it wasn't working and I think it was Dest he took off to, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. go to four defenders at the back. Yep. And they, from that point, they look immediately more balanced going forward and defending. I thought they were kind of fortunate to get back into the, the game in the first half just with Reina's goal. But then you started to see the pendulum started to swing a bit. The US were getting some more chances and stuff. So him having the guts, having the cojones to change it mid-game, you know, while it was going wrong, spot what was going wrong, and then eventually to come out with the win. It's kind of all good for the U.S. Like that's what I kind of took away from it. It was a kind of a coming-of-age performance from a lot of people. Pulisic wasn't in it as much. He looked a bit tired, from obviously from Champions League and whatever and all the travelling, but they came out of it with a win. And as far as the Nation League's thing goes, people talking about cups, and I'd wrap this soliloquy up here in a second, but I wouldn't look down on a trophy, no matter who it is. No, I, personally, I have never seen Ireland win any trophy. So... Whatever trophy, see, first of all, it instills confidence in the team. That's a winning, a winning mentality. That breeds more winning. People know how to win. They figure out how to get the job done. And to get the job done against Mexico and in the way it all played out, I think it's positive signs for the U.S. Yeah, 100%. And, and kind of going off of, of what you were saying there, Connell, I think my biggest takeaway, you know, we can get into all the tactics and things, but regardless of how the U.S. was playing and how Greg Berhalter was wanting the team to play or the adjustments he was making, they played with grit and urgency. They came from behind twice. That's what's been missing with this U.S. team over the years, or or maybe some criticisms that they just didn't really seem to to know how to turn it on when the lights were on and and you were playing for something. And that is what you saw from this team. And against a veteran Mexican side that, you know, did not make it easy. They're not an easy team to play against. And and likewise, U.S. was not an, an easy team to play against in that match. And so 
I think just the mentality that you saw and the grit and that you can really see the buy-in. That's what you need to go out and win trophies is you need buy-in in the tactics. You need buy-in in, in the people around you and the players uh, that are on the bench, your technical staff, your the players that you're playing alongside on the pitch. And I just think that the mentality of this team is going to take them incredibly far. And, and the talent's there, of course. I mean, we... We know the talents there, but the fact that all of these players could come together after you know all of the achievements they've made on on their various teams that they play on you know throughout the course of of the year and 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 go and, and win that game a really difficult game too that required you to not just be locked in for ninety minutes but you know one hundred and twenty minutes you're like that is a really difficult game to go out and close with a win and so I think that just the fight and the urgency and the mentality. The buy-in, the confidence, just all of it was so impressive and something that this national team has been missing. And that, to me, gives me the most confidence going forward. So to to go back to your point, Connell, about not looking down your nose at a trophy, 100% um, for a team that, that hasn't won anything in, in quite a while either. Uh, but for me, this this was all about, and, and I guess a lot of times nowadays I look at things as, uh, a play-by-play guy, and if, if I were lucky enough to ever get to call a game like that, to me, um, a, a producer once told me the three biggest words is make people care, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, why should I care about this game? What does this all mean? What is the context of this moment? And for me, the context was incredibly deep because this golden generation of players has been slowly building toward their moment in the sun, those of us that are soccer nerds in this in this country that have been trying to preach the New Testament of <laughs> soccer of America have been trying to tell people, despite all of the signs that are up on the surface, there's actually a reason to believe that, that something is building here. And when you fail to qualify for the World Cup and you fail to qualify for the Olympics, people that aren't following it closely go, yeah, you're the same people that have been telling us this is going to be the most popular sport in America <laughs> since the 70s. And and where are you now? And so, obviously, I think we can put some of that other stuff. To me, I'm not worried about soccer becoming the most popular sport in America. I want to see soccer relevant. Mm-hmm. I want to see when the United States plays Mexico in what was by far, by the way, the most entertaining sports event that I've seen I don't know how long. Yeah. I mean, it's been, right? You're, you're, you're a neutral on this, I, Connell. I feel sorry for the person who had to write the match report. It must have been as oh long as the Magna Carta. <laughs> Did you see? This the amount of... I don't know how you could fit it all in point? without... Yeah, that happened. Like, unbelievable. Fans on the field. Beers being thrown. <laughs> You know, uh, fan p- crashing the CBS set. Right, I mean, right, it's right. just every everything that you could. I mean, you know, it, it just it was incredible. And the vast majority of sports fans in America probably didn't even know the match was happening. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see it get to the point where when U.S. not not when USA plays Honduras in a qualifier, but when USA plays Mexico on American soil, it's in the front of the consciousness of the United States fan base. We yeah. got a long way to go to get there, mm-hmm. which is a crying shame because that game was incredible. So that's what I want to see. Imagine, so- like, put that game in the context of, like, the NFL, for example. And, like, think about the craziest NFL game. Like, just one recent memory, and thinking in terms of the Kansas City Chiefs since we're here in KC, like, the divisional round game against the Houston Texans. Like that mm-hmm. game was crazy. Like a, a huge come from behind, you know, victory, mm-hmm. whatever, all those things. And it's like, that was a game that like was talked about for, for so long after the fact. And, and just, I mean, I you would hope that going forward, if this team can continue to prove that, hey, when you watch us, 
sure, maybe some of all that other stuff won't happen, but we're going to come out and, and put on, we're going to fight. And that's what, you know, they did in that so, game. So the honest truth is the only way we get to a point where it's, it's in, the, in the frame, in, in the consciousness of the American public is for the United States to do well in the World Cup. Right. Mm-hmm. That's it. In other countries, as you know, Connell, they're about to go nuts for the Euros right. in Europe. Conmebol, you play, you know, you, you play competitions in South America. Those those things go bananas for their secondary competitions and their regional competitions. Most Americans won't care too much about the goal. We will, but most Americans it won't it won't be much on the ra- on the radar. This team has to do well in the World Cup in order to, to gain those types of fans, to become more mainstream. So the first step is they got to qualify for the World Cup. Right. This was the first opportunity for this young generation of players to experience what it's like to play in World Cup qualifying. Now, they didn't even have to go to South America yet, or to a Central America yet. That's going to be a different one. But they got to deal with fans throwing objects at them on the field. They got to deal with all of the bizarre things with CONCACAF officiating and players kicking you all over the field and ugling the game up and what it means to dig deep and not necessarily play well, like you said, and still find a way to get a result. And that was their first opportunity to show us what they're made of, but maybe also find out for themselves what they're made of Mm -hmm. and grow from it. So for me, that's why this was such a big result. As much as the trophy was, was important um, and, and look, the Gold Cup's probably not going to be this group of kids. It's going to be some kids that might get a chance to help. And we'll have more on that with Gianluca Busio in a little bit. But that's why this game mattered so much. We can get into the tactics and all that stuff, and, and maybe we will with, with Andrew Wiebe in the next segment. But for me, we can't lose sight of what that meant. And, and to, to the last point I wanted to make that you guys were talking about Burhalter and the tactics and everything, and that was all great. Did you guys see him flying up and down the sideline, kicking balls back to his players to yeah. get it in? Have you seen that type of Greg Burhalter before? Because I have. And I've, he's always struck me as this stoic, professorial type. Mm-hmm. He was a little Often Peter Vermees. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he, he was. was. That Peter. is such a good and, and I think he knew his players had to meet that moment because the Mexican players were going to be getting stuck in. And he wanted, he wanted to set the tone. And I thought his players emulated that on the field. They thrived off that 100%. And that, you know, again... That's what it takes to win. That's the, like you can have the most talented team. You can have the best, you know, the best strategy, the best tactics going into a game, the best game plan down to, you know, an exact science, how you think you need to go out and, and beat your opposition. But if you don't come out and play with that fire, with that intensity, sometimes that's what it takes. It's digging deep. And I mean, think about all the times in that game that the U.S. could have just been like, the, the opening like minutes oh. and conceding that yeah. goal. I mean, as so many people, I, whether you looked on Twitter or you were just watching, it was like, ah, here we go again. Yep. And they fought back. And that's that, to me, is where the mentality comes in and what that says about who this team is and who they're becoming, which is going to take them far if they can keep that up with the talent that is that is so rich throughout this team and players that weren't even called up to play in this match. All right, let's uh, take a break. We're going to talk with Andrew Wiebe next. We'll talk more about this U.S. men's national team and MLS as well because, let's be honest, it's all tied together. This is uh, American soccer we're talking about. Right after this, we are presented by Michelob Ultra. You see the beautiful Michelob Ultra right in front of me, right there. Uh, It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Back after this on Sports Radio 810 WHB. 
And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content as well, be it Facebook or YouTube on the 810 pages there. Uh, we appreciate you joining us, and we appreciate uh, our next guest joining us as well, presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. A man who I understand has maybe earned himself a couple of Michelob Ultras doing some yard work in the hot Midwestern sun, our good buddy Andrew Weeb from MLSsoccer.com and all things MLS. Andrew, welcome back to Kansas City. First of all, how are you, man? I'm great. It's the best of both worlds. So I still got my decade in Brooklyn, so I'm cooler than you, Nate. But then I also have the Kansas City side, so I'm very concerned about my yard and the different flowers that I'm planting. I'm learning a lot. I'm definitely drinking some ice cold ones after I get done with them. Uh, But it's great to be back, man. My family loves it. My wife uh, was a little bit uh, reticent, let's say, at first. Didn't know how cool Kansas City was once we got here, once things have started to open up. Safely vaxxed to both of us. Let's go. Uh, she's starting to say, hey, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. We'll see how long we stick, but uh, we're really happy being in, in South KC and just got to get my boy to a Sporting KC game. Holler at Allie from the sidelines. Hey, Allie! <laughs> hey, just don't throw any cans at me. That's all I That's ask. That's right, yeah. I promise. I can't pro- I make no promises, but nobody should ever do that, by the way. Let's yes. just make that clear. Never throw anything on the field. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, hey, man, you, you got your Wichita Wings jersey in the background. You're a Kansan born and bred. You did spend your time in Brooklyn, but um, Kansas City's got to be a near and dear place to your heart because it's, it's kind of where you got your start covering Major League Soccer, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is where I, I really learned about the professional game. And I grew up playing soccer in Wichita and, and doing that whole thing. And I, I eventually became a baseball player. But I got to tell you, I didn't really – I never engaged with professional soccer. You had the Wizards down the road. And about the best I got from that as far as coverage goes was the Wichita Eagle would do every single day. They'd have the, the standings and they'd have scores. But I didn't know that Precky was an absolute – Beast. I didn't know like digital tech where I didn't know the Peter Vermees era. I didn't know Jimmy Conrad coming into that team. And when I moved to Lawrence to go to KU, I started as a business major that didn't work out for me. I'm bad at math. And then I pushed <laughs> into journalism and I, I got obsessed. 2006, the World Cup, I just could not get enough soccer. And somehow I convinced uh, my editors there to let me cover Sporting Kansas City. I should say the Kansas City Wizards. I've already flipped that switch, I guess. Uh, but that was sort of the start of it. And then I got a, I got a lucky break. MLSsoccer.com said, do you want to cover uh, what was then the Wizards? What would be Sporting? It was a wonderful time to, to start that journey. Manchester United friendly. I'm sure you guys have told this story so many times on the podcast. And everybody here knows it, understands it. I mean, mm-hmm. people signing those beams as the stadium went up. And um, I just thought wow, this is going to be something. And I thought I'd be here for a long time. And then I got the call to go to New York. But uh, I still thank Peter Vermees for being one of the most patient uh, managers, GMs, soccer czars, know it alls about this sport and this league for just letting a young guy like me come out there. And I was often the only one in training. Just come out there and ask him a ton of questions. He, I'd call him in you know, the, like, the meeting room at the job I was working downtown just to make some money. And just he'd let me pick his brain about all sorts of things, whether it was what they were doing then, why other coaches were doing things. This was really my training ground. And, uh, uh, you know, I have a somewhere here, I have my Roger Espinosa signed jersey as well. Roger's still my favorite player in the league, just respected him, um, who he was as a person and a player so much. But yeah, it's great memories. And to be back, it, it feels a little bit like deja vu. There's a full circle aspect here. All right, this this is uh, this is fun then because we're we're basically four soccer nerds here that want to see the sport grow in this country, and to that end, 
what a moment it was on Sunday night in Denver. We've been talking about it on the show, and I know you guys did on your Extra Time show as well, Andrew. But now that you've had a little bit of time to digest what happened, I guess maybe where does that game rank, the USA-Mexico game? And maybe give us, give us just one reason why, or maybe one thing that it means for U.S. soccer going forward, what we saw on Sunday. For me, as far as rankings go in U.S.-Mexico history, I can only go on the ones where I felt like I was there. I was truly engaged, whether I was there, because I've been at a couple games in Columbus, Adosa Cerro, as well as the game that they lost uh, as well, to kind of end that streak in Columbus. This, for me, is number one. And I know people like to say, oh, Nations League, what's that? It's a made-up tournament. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. For all the teams in CONCACAF, all these nations, all the smaller ones it was originally sort of created for, to the crescendo of, this final four, which is ultimately what drew the massive amounts of eyeballs, set records as far as viewership, grabbed the attention of not just U.S. fans, Mexican fans, but also, I think, mainstream sports fans. I was on Twitter, and it's like, people coming out the woodwork. I'm like, I didn't know you liked soccer. I didn't know you were about this <laughs> NBA reporter. NBA, like, whoa, 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 this is our little space. But we want it to be bigger. It just had everything through the laundry list of it. That early goal, the feeling of, oh, God, please, not this, anything but this. To then all the ridiculousness of the refereeing, the video review, the uh, the fan interaction side of it. And, of course, you know, the, the stoppage in play for the chant that we all want to see eradicated from the game and still just hasn't been able to get rid of to – uh, extra time to Christian Pulisic to the photo you got from it. I mean, I'm forgetting 10 moments and that tells you what this final was. Anytime these two teams get together, it's important. And this time was particularly important, especially for the U S but also for Mexico, because there's a feeling that the changing of the guard might be happening since about 2013, 2014. It's mostly been Mexico in this. It has been Mexico. They've dominated. They've been the better team. We can all say it. We have to admit it because it was true. Now you look at these teams, and it's not just the win. It's not just the way they did it. It's the age. Mexico was about 28, average age. Their best players, even older than that. Mm-hmm. Our best players, younger than the average age of 24 that we had. This is a moment, and it's a changing of the guard, and it's a moment that Greg Berhalter and these particular players needed. They have not had a marquee moment. They've not had a moment to burst into the consciousness of just this country, but also themselves and say, we can do it. This is our team now. This isn't Clint Dempsey's team as it was before. There is no Landon Donovan here. There is no cadre of veterans to sort of lean on. We are the Young Bucks. We're doing it in Champions League in Europe. We're doing it for our club teams. We have talent. We have a huge future. Mexico, watch out. We're not going to take it from you. Weston McKinney, get in my face. Choke me. Let's go. Let's go. That's what you want. I'm jacked up. Every time I relive it, I'm jacked up. I just can't. I can't help it. And I can't help but get excited for this team and their future and the fact that they seem so together and i you know i, I think of it as like you're i think of it like you're out with all your buddies and all you know all your friends are there your friends groups out and one of them somebody you know somebody starts messing with them at the bar you know what i mean <laughs> and you and you look around you're like who's gonna who's gonna have their back you don't want to get in fights i've never even been in a bar fight but you want to be the person that either says hey we got you calm it down get back here or hey we're behind you let's see what happens this team is behind them. They're all behind each other, and they all had heroic moments. Uh, and I and now I'm rambling because I just get emotional when I think about it, and I get extra emotional thinking about one all the World Cup qualifiers to come. There's going to be more games against Mexico. We're going to go to Azteca. Think about that. Like mm. this rivalry just went from like six to fifty-five. You know, it's like breaking the scale. And now we have the Gold Cup in Kansas City. All three group games here. What? Let's go. It's what a reward. 
What's the reward? It's it's a it's a beautiful soccer summer, beautiful soccer year and a half to come. Uh, and this was just sort of the thing that I think lit the bonfire within all of us that had sort of been on life support. You know what I mean? After Kuva, after the, the years in the darkness in the wilderness, we're out. We're out. We're ready to go. Okay, Andrew, so many things like we, so many directions we could go with this. I mean, you mentioned Clint Dempsey, and I, I do want to get your favorite Dempsey line, but maybe we'll save that for the end because I have quite a few that stood out to me. But you, you mentioned heroics, and I, I think one that stands out to many is Ethan Horvath coming into that game and the performance that he had in a, in a match like Wes McKinney said, that was going 100 miles per hour at the time in which he, he checked into the game. Just what did you make of, of his performance and, and what does that say about the depth of this team for your backup keeper to come in and, and have a performance like that in some of the biggest moments of, of his career? What a what an old soul it feels like to me, Ethan Horvath. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like one of those guys that's just kind of like he's, he's not overreacting to anything. You know, I'm here like yelling at a, a Zoom screen <laughs> talking to you guys being so excited. Ethan Horvath got put into the middle of this just like demolition derby and was like, yeah, I got this. No biggie. I'm here. All right. I didn't even play that many games in my club this year. I probably am going to have to find a new club. But OK, huge penalty to tie the game. Guardado down with the right hand. All good. Like I, I love his demeanor. And I love his ability as a shot stopper. You know, you can look at Zach Steffen and he's in such a wonderful environment, even though he's not starting. And maybe he's better with the ball at his feet. Maybe he's quicker to come out and control the area in that way. But what an amazing thing to have, to have someone behind him and another guy behind him, because Matt Turner is probably going to be the guy we watched this summer in Gold Cup games in Kansas City, I would Mm -hmm. expect, to start to rebuild that depth at the goalkeeper position. And it sort of had seemed like that was not gone, but we didn't have the Friedel, Keller, Tim Howard, like, put it in stone goalkeeper and then you know what to see him after this game and the emotions that he had uh, my friends will tell you my family will tell you i am a easy crier <laughs> i have no shame about that yeah to same emotion, same boy to, to appreciate the moment to not be afraid to to show people that they matter and to say it and to to be sort of engaged in exactly what you're feeling in that moment is it's what it's all about and i was inspired by that post game of Ethan Horvath. And you've seen it before from him after COVID, he's had a tough time. It's like the first time in four years he's been home and to have this moment happen, to see him just sort of release it. um, That felt like I think a lot of US fans uh, of sort of releasing all these pent up emotions of the last four years of COVID, of all the things that have been taken away from us and just saying, oh my God, like we're here, we did it, we're together. It's It's this brotherhood and to see all his teammates go straight to him and comfort him and be with him, like, oh, my God, it's just – that that's what I want from my national team. And I think everybody could identify with it. And so, uh, see, now I'm getting a little – I'm getting, like, you know, yeah. cryy here. Like, where yeah. did that come well, from? Allergies. It, it's beautiful. Right. It's beautiful, man. Well, Andre, you say you're an easy crier. I mean, 60 seconds into the game, you must have had some premature tears in your eyes. Um, <laughs> obviously, they take the lead early and uh, – I mean, for, it was kind of uphill from then, but so Greg Bearhalter, it was they started with a three. We were talking about just before they started with a three, and then he noticed what was wrong. He switched it up. He went to a four. Kind of, you have to looked a bit more balanced after that. How do you how do you summarize his performance of the whole game? The substitutions he made, you know, the way he set up at the start and recognized things were going wrong. I've seen me and Nate were or Nate was alluding to earlier. He was getting slated for the first half and probably rightfully so on Twitter and stuff. But he did recognize it and changed it. How, what perception do you come away from the game with uh, of your coach? I think that Greg Berhalter. 
for a lot of different reasons, maybe has has it's been hard for him to get traction with a fan base that's been a little bit trying to search for the right word because Twitter, I think, is is sometimes a poor temperature right. gauge for yep. this sort of. You don't thing. say. Yep. Um, <laughs> there, people are on edge, and people want to reach and find and identify. I don't know if scapegoat is the right word, but reasons why a team with the potential and the talent that, that people see hasn't always lived up to it. I think Greg Berhalter was the biggest winner in all of this. You know, there are, Everybody has a reason to look at this tournament on the U.S. side, even the folks that made mistakes. Like, you know, Mark McKenzie, I think he's a big winner to be able to make that mistake and survive and, and to, to thrive toward the end of the game. But for Greg Berhalter, he didn't have a marquee win. He didn't have a moment to hang his hat on. He didn't have this sort of like, you're our coach, you belong, you're going to get the best out of this group. And I think that this is his moment. I actually think that the way he set up originally made sense. Uh, he was trying to neutralize Tecatito, who was going to be their best threat. Like, early on, Tuna is going to be north-south. Chucky was going to drop in and try to pull John Brooks out. But Tecatito was the guy that they wanted to get 1v1. And look, what can he do about Mark McKenzie passing the ball to Tecatito in the 18? Greg Berhalter can't do anything about that. He can only adapt to it. I thought his original idea was a pretty good one. You know, pressing times, identify those moments, but then protect yourself from the biggest threat on the field. Over time, he made better decisions than Tata Martino. He identified better weak spots in the opponent than did Tata Martino. He recognized what Tata might do on set pieces, and he put out, like, the nuclear bomb that is Weston McKinney. Like, you mm. detonate him, he's just he's, – he's putting it on frame. He's dunking everything. Um, so I actually thought he had a really – he had a really good game, sort of his, his coming out moment with this team. Uh, and I would, I would suggest to U.S. fans that impatience won't flatter us. We have a team that hasn't been together. We have a team that is doing this all for the first time. It's not like we got a bunch of hardened vets that have rolled through World Cup qualifying two times. This is their third cycle. Now they're trying to make – like these guys are all new to it. And they're all new to being the man with the responsibility of a nation on their shoulders. Landon Donovan had to carry that from the time he was basically 17 years old. That changes you. And you saw the way it changed Landon. You saw what it made into him. We, don't, we haven't had that guy. So I would suggest that patience is absolutely necessary. We're going to find more pieces in the Gold Cup that will complement this roster. We should, hopefully, a left, hopefully Sam Vines at left back can sort of push in there. Hopefully a couple of these center backs in the Gold Cup can establish themselves and be guys you call in for World Cup. <laughs> John Luca Busio, like, sorry. Uh, maybe early, maybe a little soon on that one. Uh, maybe, just maybe, I'm just going to say. I'd like to see him get some looks in the Gold Cup for sure. But as far as World Cup qualifying, maybe a little soon. But he's not a, he has a hard job, man. He's done it through COVID. He hasn't had his guys together. And to win this game in the way that he did against a Mexico team that I think was the favorite, let's just slow down as fans. I know we want the world right now. I know our guys are playing in the Champions League. I know they're in the Bundesliga and all these different places. It is a different beast to come into CONCACAF and thrive. It is a different beast to look around a stadium at, at American flags and at jerseys and at people saying, do this for your country and succeed. It's a different pressure. Um, and I, I think that applies to the coaching side too. I personally have faith in Greg. People at home are probably saying, "Well, you also work for MLS. That's why we got to we got to find a way to divorce ourselves from this MLS versus Europe. Who does it? But we this is our soccer culture, not theirs. It's ours. Let it be ours. Let us <laughs> let us support our own, unless there's a reason to eat our own. And there's not a reason to do that. And that's what frustrates me so much about soccer Twitter is that the first time something goes a little bit wrong. 
people are panicking. Yep. Everyone panics. Think on. back to those other years. We were qualifying in crazy places on last second goals, barely sneaking through. Like that's what this region is. It's all about the results. We got two results. Be happy about it. Now let's go do it to get the gold cup. Let's win that thing and let's go crush them in World Cup qualifying. Woo! Wow, Andrew, you got us fired up, and now we got to take a break because I've got to spend the last segment ripping you for not giving Busio enough credit. I'm kidding. You get enough of that on Twitter. I'm I'm joking there. Well, I have a question. (laughs) Just a quick one-word answer from everyone in the room. When's the last time that you consumed a Pepsi Max, if ever? Because I don't think I've ever had one. My last time was never, Mm -hmm. I think. Is that the one without you? No, yeah. That was a random one. I I, I (laughs) did not see that one coming. I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to run out and get a Pepsi Max. That was a big Biggest surprise for me hey. from that game, actually, if we're going through. I just hope he, I hope he got a good endorsement deal out of it. That's me all too. I, that's oh, all yeah. I came into that. Hey, I, I just hope that guy that got that ran off the side of the CBS set. I hope he's okay, man. There's a dislocated yeah. shoulder, I would space, bet. But I don't want his health and safety to be uh, to be at risk. I think he just fell off the edge of the stadium. Clint Dempsey was like, what just happened here? That, yeah. that was a pretty incredible moment. Yeah, I hope he uh, had a very, very uncomfortable night in a jail cell, just like the guy that hit Gio as well. Yes. So, uh, and then, and we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for the time. Welcome back to Kansas City. Uh, your, your coolness credentials will slowly decrease every day uh, that you spend away from Brooklyn. But... <laughs> It's okay that your wife now is starting to realize how cool Kansas City is. Just don't let her tell anybody because we're trying to keep it a secret, all right? Exactly, exactly. That coolness half-life, I'm feeling that pretty hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's just going It's ha- every day, half gone, half gone. I barely got any left. Uh, hey, Andrew, thanks for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, guys. Okay, that is Andrew Weeby. You can catch all the stuff at MLSsoccer.com. You can find him on Twitter and all those places as well. Uh, we're, we're proud to have another member of the Kansas community uh, that's uh, advocating for the game of soccer right here uh, in Kansas City as well. We'll take a break. We'll talk about Busio, by the way, because there was news about him and this game coming up against Austin FC right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're steaming video content. We are presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. All right, guys, uh, we've been talking a lot of U.S. men's national team. This is a transition point is what we call it because we go from U.S. men's national team to Sporting Kansas City and a player who might be involved with both. A tweet coming out from Taylor Twelman last Friday Three siren emojis, or or whatever you call those, flashing light emojis. Breaking news. Multiple Syria teams have put in bids to Sporting KC for Busio. He's ready for the move while also on the radar of USMNT. I'd be shocked if other clubs' leagues don't get involved soon. Uh, There were other reports about the possible uh, interest of teams in the Netherlands as well. I don't know that those of us that have been watching Gianluca Busio for some time around here think this is necessarily breaking news because we've heard stories about and we've seen reports about uh, interest and offers from teams in particularly Italy, but Europe in general, for Gianluca Busio. Uh, the quote from Twelman there, though, he's ready for the move is one thing. To me, the biggest one is on the radar of the U.S. men's national team. And we heard uh, Andrew Wiebe say there that he thinks maybe still a little early for Gianluca Busio. Are we early? I've, I've obviously been driving the Gianluca Busio hype train all season long here. Are we early or is everyone else late on Busio right now? It's 
it's hard to know until you see a player play in those situations. But we talked with Vermees out at training today, and he was like, look, Busio's got the quality to go hang with, hang in that game that we just saw on Sunday night against Mexico. He's got the quality. It's just a matter of tactics and, and how the coach imagines a player to fit into their system. Vermees was like, look, there's a lot of players all over MLS and all over the world that are amazing soccer players, but they might not fit into our system. So I think that's the biggest question. And, and I think something else that is interesting when talking about Busio and how he does fit into this national team is, well, where? Because we've now seen him have a lot of success at the six. His natural, natural position is at the 10. But at the end of the day, we think, we think, right. we yeah. think, yeah, I mean, it, that could all change. But I mean, it, it's no surprise that these, you know, the, the interest is ramping up as we've seen continued success on the field, not just in the moments that go viral, like that incredible set piece goal, but also just all the work that he does on the field to to make the Sporting Kansas City team better. So I like from what we've seen with Busio on the sporting team. Yes, I do think that he is ready. And I don't think that it's it's premature of us to say that he should be getting called up by the national team. It's more of how does it doesn't matter, though, what we think. It's, it's all about what Greg Berhalter thinks and where he would fit in to how they want to play. Well, that's it. And I mean, and where he would play him and where I mean, is it a bit premature? Maybe look, we we are we consume all the Gianluca Busio media that we can. It's. We are in KC. We see more of them than anyone else. So to us, that's why it could probably seem like, how is no one else seeing what we are seeing here? But, I mean, there probably is something in letting them kind of mature a bit more as a player, finding out what type of a player he actually is. Where does he play best? Where does he prefer to play? I know, obviously, he would play wherever, as we've seen. On the flip side, though, because I just want to jump in here, I do think, like, it is important, like, for players to to grow and and to progress in those those big moments, they have to play in them. They have to get that experience. And for Busio, maybe that that experience that will get him truly national team ready is going and playing in Syria or, or going and playing. It's, it's just, but it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. I mean, is it a situation where he gets signed, but then is, is loaned back to sporting? I mean, there are, di- I'm sure there are a number of different options being talked through when, well, when these it. negotiations take place. Like there's a couple of schools of thought on it because is it like, uh, I mean, what is he's 18 now. Well, he's just turned 19, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you think of other, like Wayne Rooney, when he was 18, 19, he was projected into the limelight. And then the later it got on in his career, obviously, because he had a bunch of males on his legs and stuff, he just slowly started to decrease. Whereas on the flip side, there's the likes of Phil Foden at the minute who Pep Guardiola, purpose, and I know these are world-class players, but he kind of was a bit more reticent in letting him in, trying to manage his minutes, trying to not overexpose him too much and because he thought it would be detrimental to his career. So, it's, I mean, it's you're damned if you do and damned if you don't because the next time, yes, that was a great game that we just watched. The next time the US aren't so hot when they're out, that's when we start thinking, well, John Lucabuccio could probably do a job in there. So, I mean, what do you do? Do you throw him into it? Maybe the Gold Cup is a good introduction, like Andrew Weeby was saying, put him in there and give him some reps, see what he can do. And then when it comes to World Cup qualification, you know you kind of have a player who you can either rely on or maybe need a bit more time to mature. The truth of the matter is, 
he won't be considered on the level with the guys that just took the field against Mexico unless he's playing at one of the top leagues in Europe mm-hmm. and probably for one of the top clubs on one of the top leagues in Europe. We have to remember players like Brendan Aronson, who I think has a really yeah. bright future for the national team. He's in Europe now. He's in a team that's getting into European competitions, but he's not at one of the Giants yet. Mm-hmm. Yet, And if he is, he'll probably be thrown into this mix. Um I personally think it's a matter of time for Busio before he's at one of those clubs. Uh, we'll see when that time is. That's up to Peter Vermees. That's up to Gianluca Busio. They got to figure all those things out. One thing that I saw pointed out was if he goes to Europe in the middle of the summer, that might take away his opportunity to play in the Gold Cup because all of those clubs want their guys back for preseason mm-hmm. uh, to get ready for the year. If there's a, an appeal to, hey, stay this season at least and see how things go, you get a chance to play in the Gold Cup, who knows where his career can go from there if he goes out and has a good showing in the Gold Cup, assuming Greg Berhalter even puts him on the roster. Now, all, all Taylor Twelman said here is on the radar of USMNT. I think it'll be outrageous if he doesn't make the Gold Cup roster. People were comparing him to Kellen Acosta and Mm -hmm. Jackson Ewell. I'll take Busio for both those guys for my money right now. But those guys both have experience with the senior national team. I don't fault Greg Berhalter whatsoever for picking those guys over him in a game they've got to win because they have experience and he doesn't have any at this point. That's why this Gold Cup to me is the perfect opportunity. My point, I guess I would say to to Andrew or people that say, hey, you're, you're a little too premature on this, we're projecting here. But I also think people quickly forget how fast these things happen. Yeah. How fast sometimes a player goes from relative anonymity to, holy cow, we got a guy at Schalke that's scoring goals, Hoppy? Mm-hmm. You know, like players like that, we just go, wait, wait, we have a teenager? How many Americans knew who Yunus Musa was? Right. You know, before yeah. all this, now they're all terrified that he didn't get cup-tied, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. or cap-tied in this, in this last deal. These things... They, they, they change quickly to us, to those of us that are watching, mm-hmm. but to the people that, that are you know, covering these teams. I mean, I, I've talked to Elie about – they all are well aware of Gianluca Cabusio at Barcelona. Yeah. They've been watching his games. And the issue, I think the reason like the goal that he scored in the last game was such a big deal is because that's the type of thing that people on the periphery see and notice. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But the thing that gets him to Europe, the thing that gets him on the national team is the stuff that we see because mm-hmm. we watch every minute of these games. And those scouts are watching those games too, yeah. make and no you, mistake. You don't think they're noticing his rate of improvement game after game? Mm-hmm. I mean, Connell, you watched this game for a long time. When was the last time you saw a player increase his ability level and his aptitude almost every single game the way Busio I has? don't think I ever have. With the, I mean... Because it's so hard to it's so hard to put into context because he was 16 and he was getting into the team. So I mean, you're 16 and you're getting into a team that Peter Vermees coaches too. Mm-hmm. So there's something he sees something everybody else sees, and then when we watch it ourselves, watch him just gradually get better and better and better at different positions as well. Just making himself like I'm sure teams in Europe, their eyes are water, their mouths are water. I'm watching this and. Look, will it be a big transfer fee? What way will it happen? Who knows? That's further down the line. But as far as where he started from and where he is now, I mean, that happened in two seasons. Well, and something else, you know, when we talked with Vermees ahead of the 2020 season, you know, he was talking about Busio and, and Busio's progression as a player and how they kind of put together these like timelines of sorts for, for different guys. And 
and he was like, Busio surpassed what we had, you know, kind of scheduled out for yeah. him as far as kind of check marks to to achieve throughout his progression. So he's like from Vermees's own mouth, like his manager saying like, hey, this is someone that a player we've developed that is surpassing what we were expecting him to on the timeline that we put together. And Vermees even pointed out at training today, like this isn't just someone who on the field and what everyone can see is progressing. It's what it's the stuff that you don't see off the field as well. Like the mentality and the maturity that we've always known him to have, but how that has also allowed him to step up his game because of just how he approaches the process. And that's something like those are players that you want on your team. Players who who have that that sense that is so like sometimes takes years into a career, no matter what you do, to kind of to gain that knowledge. Like Busio seems to have that at such a young age, which is really rare. So I had somebody ask me the question, you know, that, that it's not a soccer fan that well, why why even get invested if you're a sporting Kansas City fan if you're going to watch this player become great and then you, and then he's just going to leave right away? And my answer to that was, well, I don't know why get invested in Eric Hosmer um, when he's going to play for your team yeah. for a few years and then and then go. To, to another place. Why get invested in your favorite college football or basketball player when he's only going to be there for a few years and then move on somewhere else? And this concept of it being, um, you know, Major League Soccer was so scared for so long of being considered minor league if they sold players. Connell, again, I, I like your perspective on this because you come, from, you come from a different angle. You followed Celtic your whole life. One of the biggest clubs in the world. They've got a payroll that, that dwarfs what uh, any MLS payroll does for the most part. Mm-hmm. How many players on the current Celtic team did you watch come up in the club and then stay with the club their entire career? Um, I can think of one because I follow Celtic fairly closely. That's on the team right now, I mean. Um, or, or was, anyway. Do you mean Kieran Tierney? Or? I'm thinking of Brownie is the only guy I can think of that's been on that team that whole time and yeah. didn't leave and go somewhere else and try yeah, and, his hand somewhere else. And Henrik Larsson did it as well. Like Manchester United and everything were chasing him at one stage and he stayed loyal. But it's but he left at some point, didn't right, he? He did, and he went to Barcelona, won the yeah. Champions League, went to Man United, yeah. won, you know, I mean, won the Premier yes. League. But, so it doesn't usually happen. And like people, Peter Vermees doesn't suffer fools. Glad. Look, we've seen players come and go. Mm-hmm. Sony Mustafar and Jordi Cantia, d- different players just coming in. They didn't cut the grade and they're gone. This kid is starting every week in this team. He's arguably the first name on the team sheet. If you're going to expect, I mean, I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because that kind of shows you how high he is above. Now, I mean, he's not, I'm not saying he's better than every sporting player, but he's at a di- kind of at a di- different level. I mean, he's 18. I mean, he's one of the first names on the team sheet. I would get a good look at him while he's here because the kid's going to the top. Here's my point on the whole thing. Sports have become transactional across the board. Find the NBA player that's started his career in one town and then ended it in that same town. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it doesn't exist anymore. Those guys move all over the place. Players will come in and out of this club at different stages of their careers based on what's right for them and what's right for the team. While Sporting Kansas City might likely sell Gianluca Busio at some point because it's right for him and it's right, right for the for club, the team, yep. they will also go out and buy Alan Polito in the prime of his career. Yeah. In the prime of his career. 
to get the best years out of him. Johnny Russell in the prime of his career to try to get the best years out of him. Different guys will come at different stages and go in their careers. The Matt Beaslers and Graham Zussis of the world <laughs> are, I mean, it's, it's going to be more and more and more of a rarity than it already was. That doesn't mean Major League Soccer is quote-unquote minor league. The biggest clubs in the world sell players sometimes, depending on the timing of what's right for them and what's right for the club. That's just the way sports go in, in, in the modern world. And in your favorite sports in America, it's not like something that's unique to soccer either. I think right. like when it comes to that, you just appreciate what we're getting to to witness here with Busio for what it is, and no matter how long it lasts, this is a player that you know I think diehard sporting fans, diehard soccer fans will continue to watch throughout his career because it's just cool to to know that hey, he started where you know with the club that I am so passionate about, and that's the cool We've thing about soccer. We watched him grow up. We watched really, him from literally a kid. I covered you know? his first. USL appearance and like wow. hearing him talk after that game, you know, just like the just buzzing in front of a crowd of like very few people, comparatively speaking. When you look at you know mm-hmm. the crowds he's gotten to play of, you're playing in front of uh, with Sporting Kansas City and then the the first team. But it's just it, I just think if that's going to be your reason to not get invested in a player or a team, then I don't know what to tell you because you just appreciate it for what it is. Sports are transactional. It's going to be that way. And, and, and it's a good thing, honestly, that soccer is moving away from it's very unique that sporting has had the privilege to have a player like Matt Beasler and Graham Zussi with the club. Roger Espinoza, even though he yeah. did take some time away and came back. Yep. It, it's a, it's incredible. But that's not the norm. But you just have to appreciate the different players with the team. And, and sporting brings in such great culture fits that there are so many, over the, the years, just so many great players to, to, to root for, no matter how long that they're here. No one would begrudge the kid a move either. I mean, and Peter, I feel, is very good at that. He, yes. w- he would never stand in his way. He knows that this kid has gone on to big, bigger and better things. It was a great manager once said, if you want loyalty, buy a dog. Because people are, <laughs> people move, people go to different. It, it, as you yeah. said, if it benefits the club and it benefits him, like he could go to Europe and propel himself into stardom. Be, I, mean, look, I don't want to put a ceiling on him because we don't know where. And he's then going to serve go as an advertisement for the academy system and the pathway to the and pros right? for years and Bingo. years and years to come. Bingo! Right? This is and something else with Busio that is incredible. You know, this isn't just a player that they developed and then kind of sold before he even really got you know to to contribute. He is a player that at some point they're going to sell, but they are getting the the most out of him right now, He's and, and, and it's only getting better. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things that right there that is yeah. He is currently the poster child for Sporting Kansas City's developmental academy and what the future of that looks like and what they're doing here. It's really cool just seeing the the corner that MLS is about to turn with with all that's happening and the academies and it, it's just it's it's incredible. Well, it might be. It might just be the summer of Busio here in Kansas City. If he gets lucky enough to get that that Gold Cup call up and then play here in oh Kansas City for three games as well, I certainly hope we get to see that. And he might just be the best player on the field on Saturday afternoon when Sporting Kansas City take on Austin FC. It's a rematch game. We didn't spend much time previewing it, but hey, you've already watched this game once. It's going to happen again this time. Maybe it'll be eleven v eleven the entire way. <laughs> Maybe Sporting Kansas City won't fall behind this time, but if they do, we'll all know that they'll be just fine. Uh, this was a fun conversation, guys. Wish we had more time, but we're going to have to wrap it up now. Our thanks to Andrew Wiebe for joining us on the show today. Connell Court, and congratulations, Ali Trost, newest member of the broadcast crew as well. Good things happening to good people. That's going to be the theme as, uh, as we good continue babe. right here. Babe. Yeah, like let's go. Uh, and we've been presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. We'll see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City Show.